Welcome to the February 25th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today we will learn more about preclinical work that aims to identify optimal immunotargets for treatment of pediatric AML, report on a novel path for subcutaneous administration of Factor VIII, and highlight the performance characteristics of the platelet factor IV-dependent P-selectin expression assay for the diagnosis of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. We begin with a paper by Semjon Willier and Tobias Feuchtinger and colleagues from Dr. von Hauner Children's Hospital of the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich, Germany that sought to identify combinatorial targets for immunotherapy of pediatric AML. To date, no ideal single immunotherapy target has been identified for AML. Cellular therapy of AML is challenged by the heterogeneity of the disease, lack of AML-specific antigens, and by co-expression of myeloid antigens on normal hematopoietic stem and or progenitor cells. Recent efforts have instead focused on combinations of targets as a means to increase coverage of AML cells and to reduce on-target off-leukemia toxicity. While most research to date has focused on adult disease, these researchers undertook a systematic analysis of antigen expression in pediatric AML in order to identify target combinations specific to this population. The authors began by comparing leukemic blasts from bone marrow of 36 pediatric AML patients with early hematopoietic precursor cells from 13 age-matched healthy donors using whole RNA sequencing and flow cytometry to identify differentially expressed surface antigens. This analysis demonstrated that AML samples segregate from healthy cells by principal component analysis and exhibit a clustering according to the T821 chromosome translocation as well as KMT2A, a common mutation in infant leukemia. Immunotargets known from adult AML, such as IL-3 receptor alpha, or CD123, were not overexpressed in pediatric AML compared to healthy precursors by RNA sequencing. The highest flow cytometric expression, as measured by percentage of cells expressing the target, together with median fluorescence intensity on pediatric AML blasts, together with lowest expression on healthy progenitors, was found for the target CD33 and CLEC12A, also known as CLL1. When comparing different overexpressed molecules, the tandem of CLEC12A and CD33 had the best coverage and specificity, and therefore may be preferred targets in pediatric AML for combinatorial approaches. Genes such as ITGB5 and CD38 showed high expression levels in AML but were also expressed in healthy non-hematopoietic tissues. Therefore, they were not considered suitable as AML immunotargets. The investigators subsequently found that KMT2A mutated AML exhibited significantly increased FLT3 expression. All KMT2A rearranged AML samples studied were homogeneously high positive for both FLT3 and CD33, indicating that dual targeting of CD33 and FLT3 might be a promising immunotherapy approach for this subgroup of infant AML. However, as the authors point out, because CD33 and FLT3 are both expressed on hematopoietic stem cells, this concept could only be considered wherein the approach included CAR depletion via a safety switch and subsequent allogeneic stem cell transplantation. In summary, 
The paper's findings demonstrate first that expression of target molecules for immunotherapy in pediatric AML differs from expression profiles in adult patients, and second, that for non-KMT2A mutated pediatric AML, the most promising combination targets are CD33 and CLEC12A, while in infants with KMT2A mutated AML, the most rational targets are CD33 and FLT3. In her accompanying commentary, Barbara de Morluce of Ghent University in Belgium notes that in contrast to the focus on adult disease in most prior research of AML immunotherapy, the current study is unique in its focus on the pediatric population. She points out, however, that the research leaves open the question of the effects of employing chimeric antigen receptor therapies that target either one or both of the antigens CD33 and CLEC12A. For example, she cites that dual CAR T cells directed against both antigens will cover 60% of pediatric AML patients. However, while therapy designed against either one of the two targets would result in increased coverage, it would generate less specificity and profound myelosuppression. It would also require hematopoietic stem cell transplant rescue or interventions that limit CAR T cell persistence. Notwithstanding these critical questions, Moore Luce cites the importance of preclinical studies, such as the current one, as an indispensable step for drug development for pediatric AML. We next look at work by Nadine Vallak-Hess and Andreas Tied and colleagues at Hanover Medical School and Octopharma Biopharmaceuticals in Germany, who present a novel approach to improve the bioavailability of subcutaneous, or SC, delivery of factor VIII in hemophilia A. Standard therapy of hemophilia A requires repetitive intravenous injection of coagulation factor VIII to prevent spontaneous bleeding and to restore hemostasis in cases of active bleeding. Conventional prophylaxis with recombinant factor VIII concentrates involves administration two to three times per week due to the short half-life of approximately 12 hours. Such frequent IV injections impose a substantial burden on patients. Factor VIII treatment by other administration routes could potentially improve hemophilia management and the quality of life for affected patients. SC administration of factor VIII is inefficient due to the molecules binding to the extravascular matrix particularly phospholipids, which result in its proteolysis. The Hanover team's breakthrough was to combine delivery of factor VIII with small fragments of von Willebrand factor, or VWF, as a means to limit factor VIII phospholipid binding and to improve its absorption into the vascular circulation. The team describes both the in vitro characterization of these fragments and the in vivo effects of the combined factor VIII and von Willebrand fragments in a hemophilia A mouse model using the recombinant human factor VIII semoctocog alpha. The team's first step was to engineer two von Willebrand fragments of different sizes, dubbed Octa 12 and Octa 13. Both constructs are dimers of von Willebrand fragments that contain D3 and trypsin inhibitor-like domains implicated in factor VIII binding. Both fragments demonstrated high binding affinity to factor VIII and inhibited phospholipid binding in a dose-dependent fashion. Using standard VWF activity assays and flow chamber techniques, the team demonstrated that the fragments did not interfere with function of full-length VWF or possess intrinsic VWF activity nor did they interfere with platelet adhesion. Octa-12 was superior to the larger fragment in suppressing phospholipid binding and increasing absorption of factor VIII into the circulation and was therefore selected as the focus of their analysis. 
when evaluating the pharmacokinetic profile of factor VIII alone and in combination with von Willebrand fragments, the investigators found that when administered independently, factor VIII alone was poorly absorbed into the circulation, with bioavailability of only 1.5%. With the addition of Octet-12, factor VIII was slowly absorbed, reaching peak concentration after six hours and achieving an increase in bioavailability up to 18.5%. As a result of slow absorption and excretion, the apparent plasma half-life of factor VIII when administered SC with Octet-12 was more than 7 hours, a 2.5-fold increase over the half-life observed for factor VIII alone after IV administration. Functionally, a close correlation was observed for factor VIII antigen and activity assays over a broad range of activities following SC administration, either with or without Octet-12, indicating that factor VIII delivered with Octet-12 remained fully functional after absorption from the subcutaneous space. Finally, the investigators evaluated injury-induced bleeding status in the tail bleeding model, quantifying bleeding based on hemoglobin loss. They found that factor VIII administered SC with Octet-12 progressively reduced bleeding over the course of 9 hours and provided protection for up to 24 hours. In summary, the authors show that von Willebrand fragments containing the D3 domain improved factor VIII passage from the subcutaneous space into vascular circulation and did not interfere with functioning of either factor VIII or full-length VWF. The slow absorption from subcutaneous depot prolonged factor VIII's apparent half-life and extended bleeding protection. In his accompanying commentary, Tom McKinnon from the Imperial College London commends the team for developing a potential new path to factor VIII administration via SC injection. He notes that while the concentration of factor VIII injected via the SC route was five times higher than via the IV route, it nonetheless achieved its therapeutic goal. McKinnon comments that although the bispecific antibody emicizumab represents a therapeutic for hemophilia A that is already delivered by the SC route, there is no long-term data on its safety. Therefore, there remains a compelling need for further optimization of currently available factor VIII products. Finally, he notes that despite concerns about immunogenicity of therapeutics delivered subcutaneously, the factor VIII plus fragment combination was no more immunogenic than factor VIII delivered alone intravenously, and in fact, was marginally less immunogenic, a further potential advantage of this approach. He concludes that if ultimately proven successful in humans, this novel approach could significantly benefit hemophilia A patients by offering a more patient-friendly alternative to repeated IV injections with no compromise on safety and efficacy. Our final paper comes from Bethany Samuelson-Bano from Oregon Health and Science University, Deepti Warad and Anand Padmanaban from Mayo Clinic, and David Garcia from University of Washington and their colleagues. Their study evaluates the utility of platelet factor 4, or PF4-dependent assay, for diagnosis of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, or HIT. As the authors remind us, a false positive test for HIT, or a delay in excluding HIT, needlessly subjects a patient to the considerable risks associated with treatment with a heparin alternative. Conversely, a falsely negative HIT test can lead to catastrophic thrombosis or death. The pretest probability of HIT can be determined utilizing clinical indices such as the 4T score. Widely available HIT assays such as the platelet factor 4 heparin ELISAs have poor diagnostic specificity 
and its greatest value lies in the ability of a negative result to exclude the diagnosis. However, many patients with a positive ELISA do not in fact have HIT. The serotonin release assay, or SRA, detects pathogenic HIT antibodies preferentially and is considered the gold standard laboratory test for HIT. However, the SRA is technically demanding and is routinely available only through a few reference laboratories, precluding its impact on early decision-making for patients with suspected HIT. An alternative platelet activation assay, the PF4-dependent P-selectin expression assay, or PEA, is based on the finding that incubation of platelets with PF4 primes them for recognition by pathogenic heparin-induced antibodies, which, upon binding to PF4-primed platelets, induces platelet activation and P-selectin surface expression. The authors submit that the PEA is technically simple, uses fewer platelets, and unlike the SRA, requires no radioactive reagents, with the potential to generate same-day results to guide patient decision-making. In the current paper, the authors conducted a prospective multicenter blinded study comparing PEA against SRA in patients with suspected HIT. They enrolled 409 consecutive adult inpatients, classifying each as disease-positive, negative, or indeterminate, based on diagnostic criteria that combined the 4T score and HIT-ELISA results. The decision to perform HIT diagnostic testing was made by the primary clinical team, and involvement of a hematology specialist was not required for study inclusion. The mean age of subjects was 61 years, and 60% were male. More than 80% were exposed to unfractionated heparin, and the most common indications for treatment were prophylaxis for venous thromboembolism or cardiac surgery. Clinical stratification found that 69%, 24%, and 7% of patients had low, intermediate, and high 4T scores, respectively. ELISA results were negative in 88% of subjects. 17 patients, or 4% of the cohort, were deemed to have HIT. Most of the rest, 94%, were considered disease-negative. Given the desire for a stringent gold standard, patients deemed indeterminate were considered disease-negative in the primary analysis and disease-positive in a sensitivity analysis. Patients classified as HIT-positive had median PEA and SRA results of 88% and 69% respectively. PEA and SRA results decreased significantly in HIT-indeterminate patients with medians of 46% and 5% respectively. The vast majority of samples from HIT-negative patients did not activate platelets in the PEA or the SRA. Using Receiver Operating Characteristic, or ROC curve analysis, to assess the ability of the assay to correctly stratify patients into disease-positive and negative groups, the diagnostic accuracy of PEA was found to be high and similar to that of SRA, with areas under the curve, or AUC values, of 0.94 and 0.91 for the two tests, respectively. In a sensitivity analysis, where indeterminate patients were considered as disease-positive, the AUCs of PEA and SRA were also similar, 0.88 and 0.86, respectively. The authors also found that the sensitivity and specificity of the PEA was comparable to the SRA with sensitivities of 76% versus 82% and specificities of 96% versus 97% respectively. Negative concordance between PEA and SRA was high at 0.97, while positive concordance was 0.69. Examination of the discrepant cases showed that 5 of 10 patients 
in the PEA-positive SRA-negative group and three of eight patients in the SRA-positive PEA-negative group likely had HID. As possible explanations for the discordance, the authors cite first, for SRA-negative PEA-positive results, the lower activation threshold of PF4-primed platelets and thus the ability to detect HIT antibodies at the earliest signs of disease, when titers may be lower. For SRA-positive PEA-negative results, the authors point to the potential for technical error given the atypically low PEA values in these cases. They also cite the potential for different activation thresholds for dense granule versus alpha granule release, with some but not other HIT antibodies in the SRA and PEA respectively. The authors conclude that the PEA represents a technically simple, non-radioactive assay that can deliver high diagnostic accuracy for the detection of pathogenic HIT antibodies. They point to the potential utility of the test in the near-patient setting to facilitate rapid, accurate diagnosis, minimize unnecessary interventions, and improve outcomes among patients with suspected HIT. In her discussion of the article, Grace Lee from Duke University emphasizes the need for diagnostic alternatives to SRA that can deliver rapid, accurate results. She points out that prior studies have shown that PEA has similar, if not higher, diagnostic accuracy as SRA, but that those studies suffered from potential selection bias. She additionally notes that although the findings indicate that PEA is comparable to SRA in terms of assay performance, several issues must be addressed before the test can be widely implemented. She cites that although radioactivity is not needed, PEA remains technically challenging as the assay requires washed platelets and expertise with platelet flow cytometry. She further points out that testing for the current study was performed at a single institution with significant expertise, raising the question of whether assay performance characteristics will be similar in the hands of other operators. Finally, she notes the discordance between PEA and SRA results, which requires further analysis. Notwithstanding the need to fully define the role of this test for accurate confirmation or exclusion of HIT, Dr. Lee acknowledges that the development and validation of PEA addresses a long-standing diagnostic challenge in the management of this potentially life-threatening disease. For a list of additional authors as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.